Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you see the MMS at the start of an episode title, that is my millennial story. And it's just me chatting with you, our audience, our listeners, people who are in the Facebook group, follow us on Instagram, reply to our emails, all that stuff. It is you, the My Millennial Money community, and it is your story. Today, I want to use this one as an encouragement, as a cautionary tale, and as evidence that financial literacy does help. You'll hear today in the story that all this stuff that we're doing today wasn't around 10, 15 years ago. And there are opportunities, there always are, but there's always big risks. So we'll share this story. So we'll get started very soon, but we can't do this episode without Global X. Global X support our Thursday podcasts. From adding some shine to your portfolio with gold, G-O-L-D, or bringing a spark with wire, W-I-R-E, and they're the ticker symbols, GlobalX offers a wide range of commodity-focused ETFs. They're here to give Aussie investors cost-effective exposure to the most compelling opportunities in commodity markets, including green metals like copper and lithium, carbon allowances, and hydrogen. To learn more, and before you start investing, please read the applicable PDS and TMD from globalxetfs.com.au. Thank you to GlobalX for supporting my millennial money. Let's get into this today. Oh, oh, oh. And before we do, we're just reminding everyone that the Retire Ride podcast is now live. So if you're over 50, 55-ish, you want to look ahead 10 years or so, well, Retire Ride. Let's get going. I'm Glenn James, and this is My Millennial Story on My Millennial Money. Megan, welcome to my millennial story. Thank you for having me, Glenn. We are connected on Instagram. You follow the My Millennial Money page. I think you, I just had a look before we press record and we put something up and you thanked me for putting the content out there and you you said just a little bit of your story and I'm like, ooh, tell me more. And then you gave me a big paragraph. I'm like, all right, we've got to get a microphone in front of you as a bit of a PSA and... And as a bit of an inspiring story, because you've been through what many would say is the darkest financial times, and you're still here, you're still standing, you're still smiling, life went on. And so, yeah, I just wanted to get you on, share your story, and we'll go from there. So before we kind of do the autopsy on your story and the craziness that happened, can you please give me an overview of what your current situation is right now, both financially and occupationally and anything else that you want to add? Sure. So I think the post that uh, I put up was about the Hex episode. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So I just 
thought that that episode on My Millennial Money was just so full of great information and really relatable to people who had done a uni degree and had this hex bill. And just that little bit of information about indexation gave me the kind of power to make an informed decision, I Mm. guess. And I just thought that that was really not something that was around back when I was younger in my 20s. And so I just felt really empowered by the whole My Millennial Money podcast Mm. uh, and every guest that you have on. So a little bit about me. I currently work at Bond University. I am a senior teaching fellow in psychology and I teach positive psychology and statistics. Uh, I earn around 125 grand a year. And uh, I have what's known as a PhD or a Doctor of Philosophy. Wow, very philosophical of you. (laughs) My financial situation at the moment, um, I've just uh, in January bought my first home. Awesome. (laughs) When I say my first home, you'll realise later it's not actually my real first home, but my first home. And it's really interesting because I bought the house that I grew up in. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm keen to know about that. So it was the first home for Megan Mark too. <laughs> yeah. Megan version two, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned before we hit record, you've got a daughter? Son. 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 son sorry. Yeah. I have a 10 year old um, son. He yeah. He's a little bit of a finance wizard actually. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. And so just your current financial situation, just so we can kind of set the scene, you mentioned to me uh, in the Instagram post that you've kind of been working back through or you've completed the sound financial house and, you know, really looking at the foundations in your life. Talk to us about that journey. Yeah. So at the moment, uh, the house that I purchased was worth 750 grand um, in January, but I purchased it off um, my mum after my grandma passed on. So the house has been through, uh, my mum owned it, then my grandma owned it, and now I own it. Um, They sold it to me for 600 grand because we had a agreement that I was going to buy it years ago, but me buying it would impact my grandma's pension. So there was an agreement outside of the will with my mum that I would purchase the house for 600. So I purchased that um, and the mortgage I have on that at the moment is 540 grand. But I've got about 28 grand sitting in an offset. So there's about 507 on it at the moment. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. And do you do any like investing on the side or anything like that? Yep. So I started investing in shares in August of 2021. So about two years ago. I have a investment platform. I've got eight ETFs and six shares. But when I did that, when I set that up, I didn't have the education that I have now from all of the podcasts that I listen to and it's not formatted in a way that I'm quite happy with. So it's Mm. probably about 50% in like shares and 50% in ETFs. It's about 55 grand in there and I'd really like to get it and I'm at the moment trying to buy and sell to get the 90% in the ETFs and 10% in the shares. Yeah, what type of just, and tell me to shut up and go away if you want, but like what companies do you own directly and why? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I've got BHP, which I bought really in 2021, which was 
a stroke of genius for some reason. It it's gone up thirty percent. Um, I also have AGL because the My Millennial Investor podcast. There was a episode on shares to buy in a recession, and um, he was talking about how energy is a really good thing to buy. So I bought that, and I bought. Uh, was, got, was his general advice? Uh, no, it was <laughs> any good. Was, I know. <laughs> I know, but it was. Far out, Nick. What are you doing? <laughs> it was like he did mention several things that would be good to purchase in a recession. <laughs> I thought that was a good idea. Um, I have CBA, which I bank with. I have yeah. uh, AGL. Obviously, I'm an, I'm a customer of AGL. I've got uh, Coles because the town I live in only has a Coles, so <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm a customer go. there as well. So I think I like to buy shares in companies that I'm also giving them money in some way. Yeah, I, I like that philosophy, yeah. Yeah. And do, when you walk into Coles, do they know that you're an owner and go, oh, she's here? Like, <laughs> no, no. Oh, I also true. live next to the most expensive Coles in, in Australia, which is wonderful. So BHP, AGL, CBA and Coles, any other direct shares? I've accidentally got Woodside because BHP okay. did some form of stock split thing and now I have Woodside, which I didn't know what to do with and haven't done anything with. Mm. <laughs> and what ETFs do you have? Okay, so <laughs> I have ESGI, IMPQ, SPY, I have Vanguard, so, HG. Uh, uh, whoa, 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 hang on one sec. <laughs> the SBI, SPY, did you buy that through America? That's domiciled in America, isn't it? No, there's an ETF, an Australian ETF of SPY. Of the SPY, right. Yeah, is that the ticker code, SPY? I think so, yeah. Oh, look. yes, yes, yes. Oh, I don't know. State Street. Yeah, okay. Anyway, sorry, go on. I'm I also bought like R. Kitten. Oh, yep. In America. That's my only American ETF. And yep. recently, as in this morning, I bought QILD <laughs> because I really Q love the covered call thing. And when we get into my... Background, you'll know yeah, I've yeah. got a little bit of options trading experience, but I wasn't very good at doing it myself. So I think yeah. having an ETF with cover calls is a good option. Yeah, wow. So, but, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got it all happening. Oh, yeah, I'm, I've, I'm looking at the SPY here. It's Yeah, it's basically the State Street S&P 500 fund where I'm just – a lot of people like – yeah, it's, it's weird. And I don't know if it's an advertising thing, but like I use the – IVV, which is the BlackRock one, but I mean, all roads lead to Rome, right? Yeah. Well, I did get advice on that, but right. Um, the, I think they said IVV or SPY when I asked how do I get into the S&P, but Yeah, like, it's the same, same. It yeah, really is, I did yeah. have NDQ, which I don't know. I think they're all overlapping. So this is why mm. I'm like not really happy with what I have. And I've bought them all for specific reasons, but now I think that they have a lot of the same companies in them and I just don't have that education behind me enough to understand. Mm. Without me trying to get my coach on, uh, <laughs> uh, what's your strategy for um, simplifying your portfolio? Yeah, so at the moment I'm I'm selling down most of my shares in companies and putting them into ETFs, but I also want to simplify those eight ETFs down as well. Yeah. But I have all of them for different reasons. Like one's an ethical ETF, yep. one's the S&P 500. QI is that to offset the Woodside? Yeah. 
they've all got a reason. So I'm trying to, once I um, sell down the shares, I will then start thinking about what my, what to do with the ETFs. And I'm just dollar cost averaging in, back in. But yeah, I think for me at the moment, I've got some shares that are down quite mm. a large amount, like Harvey Norman's down 30%. Oh, that was the other one, was it? But obviously it's not a recession-proof share, but it does well when inflation will disappear whenever that happens. So Yeah, and I think it's it's that thing. It's like I like how you're targeting that 90% of, you know, keep your mitts off type portfolio. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking because there's a lot of people that are in the same situation as you, like, you know, started, you know, went shopping and <laughs> now find themselves, you know, with a basket of goodies. I mean, you've really got, I reckon there's two or three strategies and I'll probably make them up as I go along. <laughs> the first strategy is what you do, you just, any new money that hasn't been invested, you just divert that to the uh, broad-based ETF and just pump that. And then naturally over time, all the other ancillaries, the weighting will just increase normally. You've got the second option is to sell down the other direct shares, like whenever you want really. Like we're recording this at the end, at the end of June. You might be like, oh, I'll just sell them for the end of June and that's done in this financial year, move on with your life. You might manage some, you know, if there is gains on them, and then put that money in cash and, you know, DCA back into an ETF. But the third option is probably not to DCA back into ETFs just to put it in because it's already in the market, like it's not new money. Mm. And on the Investor Podcast the other day, Nick answered questions, similar one, and he said sell and DCA into ETFs. And I was like, I was tempted to pick up the phone and call him. We're like, hey, got a problem with you. It's already in the market. <laughs> We're just moving. But uh, look, yeah, that's that's awesome. And what platform or brokerage do you use? I use Perla. And that was for no other reason that I than I heard it on a podcast being recommended. Oh, that's mm. another ETF I have. I have AFI because I read the oh, yeah. investor. <laughs> oh, that's the um the LIC rather, I think, isn't it? I think it's Australian. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a AFIC. Yeah, sorry, the um, list of the listed investment company. Mm. You, so you're a very impressionable young lady. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm the type of person that, like, I think it was Henry Ford that said, "I don't know everything, but I know who to surround myself with to find the answers." Mm. Totally. But when you hear my story, that impressionable stuff really will. Be, yeah, <laughs> you'll yeah. see a lot of that in my story. Yeah. Oh, no, that's good. And, you know, so are you saying there's 50 grand basically on Perla between all this stuff? Between 15 different mm. ETFs and shares, yeah. Mm. And with your, and we'll move on because everyone's probably bored, but I'm just curious, with your new money that you add, how much money do you move on to the cash account to Perla a week or a month? So I do $205 a fortnight out of my pay into Perla. About $710 goes into like my emergency fund. That's got about mm. 14 in it at the moment. Mm. But sitting obviously sitting on my offset, which is quite good. And mm. then 205 goes into my holidays and gifts account. 
Woo. Woo, woo. I just transferred $1,000 out of my holiday account this morning. For your boat? No, I'm going to Bali in two days. <laughs> <laughs> Does going to Bali only cost $1,000? It's real cheap now, hey. Well, no, I just, I just thought I'll just do that to start with for spending money so I don't get like trigger happy and buy. Although I don't plan to really do anything, so... But yeah, it's good when you've got a dedicated account, isn't it? Just mm. allocated for holidays or yeah, whatever. Mm. Definitely. And I recently, like I have my offsets set up in the way that both on My Millennial Money and She's on the Money because I love Vicky Victoria mm. Divine. I love her as well. She's real fun to listen to. Um, so I've got like my food, fuel and fun account that I transfer $450 into each week on a Monday. Then I have my bills and direct debits account that always has about four grand sitting in it. Then I have the holidays and gifts account and the emergency fund with the 14K. But then I've also got like a little bit of an ABN account because I do presentations and conferences and um, speaking gigs every now and again, not often. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So I'd like to keep my ABN income kind of separate from all my other stuff so I know at tax time how much I actually made. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, totally. What would you say if you do have a financial goal right now, what would that goal be? Oh, that's an interesting one because my financial goal has always been to get the deposit up to buy my house and that happened in January. And I think my financial goal right now, which is really interesting, is – to do nothing for 12 months. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> because I'm the type of person, you'll hear from when we rewind and go back to my story, that I've always been kind of on that hedonic treadmill, always running towards the next financial goal, always running towards what can I do next, what can I do next, and I never stop and appreciate where I've come or, or what I've achieved. And I think right now that's where I'm at and I'm trying to force myself not to spend money on renos, spend money on things to put in the house because it's all brand new and fun. So I'm just like, I'm pausing for 12 months financially, basically. Yeah, I like that. And I often say like, yeah, once you've achieved a goal, like you're allowed to enjoy life and not have a goal. Like as long, like you're saving, you're saving money, you've got emergency fund, you're putting money in the share market, like yeah, live life. Yeah. So my goal is to fix my shares up, basically. Fix up. Yeah. Get more education in what exactly I should be investing in mm. and fix up the like the weighting of all those shares. Yeah, and there's an episode coming out. I'm just having a look on the planner. So your episode, okay, yeah, your episode's going up on the 20th of July. The episode that's going up on the 13th of July, which is the week before you, I recorded that with Owen Rask and Kate Campbell from... Um, the Australian Finance Podcast, and it's about like the top 10 investing mistakes to avoid. So you might want to listen to that with uh, a key ear. But we just kind of talked more about the exact situation that you're in, like the amount of overlap. And it just probably feels like chaos, right? It does. I'd really like to have like maybe one or two. But like there was, as I said, there was reasons I bought each one. So Mm. like trying to figure out like what fat I can cut or like what yeah. I don't actually need. And I, probably, no, I like that. I probably should go to a financial advisor. I think that's the the real advice, right? It's like you need to go sit down and talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you've got the house, that big rock's done. You've got leftover money. 
maybe it is get some formal advice, get a portfolio set up and just focus on shoveling money into that and keeping a little account that's just for the personal interest 10% amount. I don't know. Have you got your will sorted? Yep, that's all done. Love it. Insurances? <laughs> I've got insurances in my super, mm. but I know that they're not really, they may not be that great and I did want to book an appointment with, is it Skywell? Skywell, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I'm just nervous about how much of that, how much insurance will take out of, like, the money that I'm, like, setting aside. I'm scared of, like, it being a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you know, that's the, the psychology part of it, which you're the, you're the professor. <laughs> you're, you're the professor science in that department, so... No, that's cool. So yeah, you've and who's your super with? Uni super. Yeah, cool. So I mean, foundations are pretty much done. You will get an insurance review, a review, won't you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because like, if the worst happened, the last thing you want you'd have to do is the log in and withdraw thirty grand from your uh, share portfolio once your emergency fund runs out. Like, yeah, so. that's right. Anyway, all good. All right. Well, how about let's take a break now and we'll pay the bills and then we'll come back and go back to when you're in your early 20s and have a bit of um, a bit of a look-see there and okay. be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let's go back. Set the scene. What age do you want to start? Okay, so I think this all started for me in the year 2000 when I was 20 years old. Um, I worked in nightclubs in Service Paradise and I was on pretty good money because back in those days cash was king, right? Mm. So people coming into nightclubs brought in actual money and if they ran out of money, There was no cards. We would send them to like ATMs to go and get more money and bring the actual money into the club. So people spent actual cash money and when they got a little bit intoxicated, they would give you lots of their cash money. So I was on quite a good wicket. But unlike my other colleagues who were 
shoveling the money into their mattresses and not declaring it. I was declaring it to the tax department from the age of 18. So by the time I got to 20, I kind of had like a little bit of money saved up and I also had the ability to like show that I was earning a certain amount of money Mm. on my tax return. And I was just always really, like I said before, on that hedonic treadmill with finance, I'm always like have to have some form of financial goal. I was always running towards something. And I had this idea in my mind that to be successful or noted as being successful by other people, I had to have lots of houses, lots of shares, and I wanted to be like this kind of property module and I don't know why and I'll give you a little bit of a caveat and to the listeners about this story is that I've never been in a relationship that was serious enough to ever share finances so I've done all of this this whole story by myself on my own independently and even to this day everything I've done has been on my own I've never had a partner or a a dual income Mm. so in in the year 2000 when I was 20 I was working in a nightclub and a man came up to me and we got into a bit of a chat and he said, look, I'm, would you be interested in buying a house? And I was only young and like impressionable (laughs) as you said before. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And he's like, look, I can sort out the finance for you and I can sort out deposit for you and I can sort out all the deals. And all you'll have to do is when you buy the house or when the house settles, after 12 months, refinance. I'm like, okay. And so he sold me this mortgagee repossession for 175 grand in uh, one of the suburbs in the Gold Coast, so one of the outer suburbs of the Gold Coast. That house now would be worth probably about eight to one mil. I'd say I haven't looked because it made me mm. cry, but <laughs> um, so it was like a on its own piece of land, four bedroom house, just your standard vanilla house in a Gold Coast suburb. Then, when I bought that house, within six months of purchasing it, it had doubled in price, so mm. it went up to three hundred fifty grand in six months. And you I didn't, got the first home grant as well at fifteen grand at the time. No, it was or seven. fourteen grand, seven. Yeah, it was seven so at the time. Jumped so up I got and the down. Seven thousand yeah. dollar grant. That was all in the paperwork that the man sorted for me. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, I didn't know. How Sounds like a nice, <laughs> a nice chap that uh, you know, cooking the books, get you a mortgage, and we'll churn that in a year. Sounds great. Yeah, and because I was so young, I didn't realize like how dodgy it actually was until like I look back and I'm like, wow, that was not good. <laughs> like I didn't have to. So do you, do you reckon he did naughty things on the application? I would say so. Mm. I didn't have, I didn't see the application. They did right. it all for me. And I don't know what was going on at all. He just said, want to buy this house, have a friend in, in a bank, we'll sort you out. I'm like, so, sure. So it cost me nothing except for my first time owner's grant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it, doubled in price and I refinanced like I was told to. They also said make sure you do not miss a payment (laughs) because I think that's where they would have gone unstuck, right? Yeah, I don't know why they would have said that. Maybe because it would have made a a possible issue on your credit and they couldn't use 
the lenders with someone who had issues on their credit. Yeah, that's a good point. Because it's probably like almost a clean skin, easy application with whatever lender they were using. Anyway. Okay. So I had this house. I thought it was amazing. I thought I was the best property investor in the world, <laughs> which is funny. Absolutely zero education behind me. Had no idea what I was doing. And then in t- two years later in 2002, I went to a financial advisor who had a little bit of a white shoe policy. Do you know who the white shoe brigade back in the no. early? Okay. They were like people who were saying that they were financial advisors, but they were really pushing people into product. Right. And being right. paid commission. So I went right. to a financial advisor thinking I was doing the right thing and was his suggestion was to use the equity from the first property to buy a house out in an even further suburb of the Gold Coast that was said to be an up-and-coming suburb that was going to have massive growth. So I bought a house and land package for only 240 grand. Again, that How house, old were you at this time? 22? 22. Yeah. Again, that house would be worth over a mil now. Mm. But when I bought it, it was like... The builder had built the whole estate and they were all cookie-cutter copies of each other, but they weren't done. The quality was not amazing. So I had white ants in it within 12 months. I had, Gosh. like, stuff falling apart. <laughs> like, um, lots of things went on with that house. But, again, it was four bedrooms, really large. It was really beautiful on a big piece of land. So it was a, it was a pretty good investment at the time apart from the problems of the builder Mm. and that was when I made my first mistake (laughs) so I sold the house the first house because it had so much equity in it I was like oh my god I could be using this money to do things Mm. not realizing that I could use equity I didn't know how the whole equity thing worked so I sold the first house for double what I paid for it bought a car so I've never had a car loan which is which is being pretty cool so Mm. I bought a car outright and then I don't even know what I did with the rest of the money Maybe put it into the other house. I don't remember what yeah. I did, but it wasn't anything stupid. I I never, ever had consumer debt. Mm. I never did credit yeah. cards until later. <laughs> I never did credit cards. I never did car loans. I knew that kind of rule. That was one of the only things that I had in education was not to do, go into consumer debt. Yeah. So after I sold that in 2003, so a year later when I was 23, I made my second mistake. (laughs) I bought a unit in a high-rise in Surface Paradise right on the beach and then I moved into it and lived in it for 18 months. Yeah, cool. It was so much fun but not the greatest investment. So it had really high body corporates because it had like four lifts, it had a slide, it had sauna, it had spas. It was amazing. Pretty fun though for a 23-year-old. It was amazing fun. It was really close to work. I could like walk into the nightclubs where I worked Indy happened. Indy was really fun, which was the racing cars. And, yeah, it was a really good lifestyle for a 23-year-old. Um, I bought that for 320 and it kind of hovered around 320 the whole time I owned it. It never kind of went up mm. because it wasn't on its own piece of land. But the mm. body corporate and the rates were very high and very tricky. So then I moved out of it and put it in the holiday pool and then that was a whole issue of itself because sometimes it wasn't let out and then the cleaning bills were costing me all this money and I wasn't breaking even in the rent. So then I took it out of the holiday pool and put permanent residence in it and then it started to have problems with like maintenance and things that I had to deal with myself. So it was my biggest mistake. Then in 2005, so I was 25, 
Yep. I bought a townhouse in, uh, interestingly enough, a townhouse in a block right next to Bond Uni where I now work. Right. And it had students in it. Did you, uh, were there any properties in Queensland you didn't buy? <laughs> <laughs> no. But I thought I was diversifying, right? Because I had a house, I had a unit, I had a townhouse. Yeah. And the good thing about the townhouse was that it was next to Bond University. Students lived in it and rented the house out per room. So the yep. rent was massive. It was huge. It was like yep. for the time, it was really high. I think I paid about 350 grand for that and the rent was about six, $700 a week. Yeah. The only problem with that one was that when semester break happened, there was no tenants because mm. the students went home, usually back to uh, China or America. And But the good thing about it was that the rent was always paid because the parents would pay it up front oh, for the whole cool. semester. Yeah, so I had these three properties until for a very long time. So from 2005, I had three properties up until 2013. Yep. And I'll get into that now. <laughs> we'll get Nathan to put some ominous music in there. What happens? What happens to the property module? What happens to her? Well, because I had no education behind me. Oh, just to also put in there, at this time, so in 2005 when I was 25, I started thinking that I was, like, amazing at investing. So I decided I was going to try my hat at options trading and do awesome. covered calls. <laughs> so I took 40 grand out of the house, the the. The house and land. The house and land, which had yep. heaps of equity in it at this stage. And then I also, once I'd started doing covered calls, I was getting about 1500 two grand a month and not ever having to buy the shares. And I was like, I'm a genius. <laughs> Printing money. I know. And we were in like a bull market. It was right before the GFC. So there was this bull market for about two years. And I was like, oh, my God, I am, like, killing this investing thing. Mm -hmm. I'm doing so well. I'm amazing. But I wasn't doing what I should have, like, putting put options on my own calls to yep. insure myself in case I had to buy the shares because I just had no idea. But I thought I had every idea, which was funny. Mm. I then thought, wow, this is going so well. I'm going to get, I don't know what it's called when you get a loan. to Leverage. Yeah, so gear. I leveraged another 40 yeah. grand. Yeah, into it, so I was actually trading with $80,000 worth of money that I wasn't putting into the market. Yeah. And then, dun, 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 2007, global financial crisis. Mm. And I had to buy $80,000 worth of shares that were now worth probably not much, and I panicked and sold them. Right. So I didn't know about length, timing, time in the market. I didn't know any of this stuff about holding on and not panicking. So I panicked and I sold and I lost quite a chunk of money. For those who are wondering about covered calls and options, go and have a listen to Nick on the My Millennial Investor podcast. But basically, you're covering the option with shares. Yeah. So basically, how I looked at it was that. I w someone was paying me insurance, like I was the insurance company. A premium, yeah. Yeah, they were paying me a premium to say if my share comes to this um, price, you'll buy my shares off me and then I won't realise that loss. And yep. I was collecting the $1,500, $2,000 premium each month yep. until I had to buy them. And then I bought them at, say, $100 a share and they were only worth $20 a share. 
So yeah. I'd lost my capital. Yeah. And that's, um, that's options for you, kids. Mm. Like the funny story that Nick tells about the time where he was asleep and his options, like that's a cool story. <laughs> yeah. Far out. And that's it. Like all this stuff, you will get washed and flushed if you're not careful. So your the option was executed. You had to buy the shares for a hundred dollars a share. They were worth twenty. You sold them, and you basically what got ten grand left or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Now at the same time that that was happening, all of my houses slid backwards. So mm. all the values of my houses slid backwards, so that the the apartment in Surface Paradise and the townhouse were worth less than what the mortgage was so because that's what happened. Underwater. Property yeah. prices slid backwards. So yep. my mortgages were worth more than the properties and that made me panic. The house and land package was still had equity sitting in it even though I had borrowed 40 grand out of it to trade shares. But I decided that the apartment in Service Paradise was not a very good investment so I sold it and I made a $100,000 loss on that. Wow. So then I had so a mortgage for a hundred grand and no property attached to it. Yeah. So did that rate just jack up because it was unsecured? Uh, I think it was actually tied to the house and land package. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. It was, yeah. it was secured against that because that was the second property and the apartment was the third property. Yeah. So at this time I had no equity left and everything was kind of like looking. Well, at least they structured the mortgage correctly that, you know, when you did sell that, you didn't have to sell the other property. Like it was a second yeah like legitimately separate application, yeah. Yeah. So that all happened kind of around in between 2008 and 2010. And then I spent three years holding on to the townhouse and the other property and trying to keep my head above water. And at that time I'd left my job in Surface Paradise nightclubs and started working Started working in finance. Hey, you had experience. <laughs> I had such bad experience. But yeah. I think, and this is a really good time to discuss the difference between a financial advisor and someone who has a degree in finance with a financial salesperson, which is what I was. So I went out and I was selling home home loans, line of credits and things to people, doing investment seminars, how to get your equity out of your home to buy a investment property type thing that was really popular back before all of the finance stuff tightened up. Mm. And, yeah, so I was doing that but I wasn't making as much money as I was, surprise, surprise, in hospitality. Mm. And I was getting too old at that time so I would have been 29. Oh, ancient. I was getting so old and I just couldn't stay up till 5 o'clock in the morning anymore. That was basically it. Mm. So I couldn't make that income anymore. So... I was I took a bit of a cut in pay and then I was just treading water for a good 5 years until 2013 trying to not lose everything and I got credit cards and credit cards were paying my mortgages if I was like and there was like money was being I was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul constantly mm. and trying to keep my head above water and pay my rates and pay my there was also body corporate on the townhouse near Bond and all this stuff and I was just constantly doing that for about five years because this whole 
idea that I had of my of my identity of who I was was this person who was really successful in property and share trading which I actually wasn't I just was in a really good market for a little while Mm, (laughs) and then in a bad market so I didn't want to go bankrupt and I just held on held on held on until 2013 where I couldn't hold on anymore everything caught up with me and I had to file for bankruptcy what was that process like uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Mm. It was actually quite simple. The banks just wanted me to declare everything that I owned, every asset, and they just took over and they sold out the properties. They kicked my tenants out and they were really cranky at me. So, mm. yeah, they sold out the properties They and they did all that in the background. So I don't really know what was, was happening. Yeah. But for me at the time... I was like going through a quite a bad mental health stage because I'd lost completely who I was mm. and I didn't know who my identity was if I wasn't this person with the houses and the shares. And, yeah, that was really tr- tricky. Mm. And then, yeah, so fell pregnant during the bankruptcy period. Yeah, I was pregnant in the bankruptcy period. So I went bankrupt a couple of weeks after my son was born actually. Right. And I was living at home with my mum and I was 33 at the time so I wasn't like a young person anymore and I, yeah, I was in a really bad place but in a good place because I knew the bankruptcy was going to, was coming. Like mm. for that five years I knew it was going to happen. I just was trying to hold on, hold on, hold on. And then when it happened it was kind of, it was a good thing in a way because one thing that I always knew was that I could never ask someone, like I could never have a child with someone because of how independent I was and I had never relied on anyone else's income and I'd never been in kind of like a dual income sort mm. of situation. So I always, we never had conversations about children because I didn't want to say, oh, while I'm pregnant and not able to work, could you support my mortgages? <laughs> yeah. So it was yeah, kind so of that really in a way. Yeah, because it, yeah, that would heavily impact because, you know, going into a relationship with huge amounts of debt, negative equity, even. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, just the people that I used to date back then were like not people who were on the same page financially as me. They're all party mm. people and having lots of fun in their 20s. And I was like trying to do what I thought was the right thing or the sensible thing, but like they were not nowhere near on the same page as me with that. I mean, like if you fast forward and we go back to today, like you're very on track financially and very secure and you're not, like you're having a year off. That's counterintuitive to the Megan of 24, 25 years old, isn't it? Like back then it'd be time to go again. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. But I think I boil that all down to I was – winging it on my own back then, not relationship-wise, but financial education-wise. And there was no Glenn Jameses. There were no Victoria Devines. There were no podcasts Mm. to help educate you on don't panic, don't sell your shares. It's Mm. the long term. All these just little messages that come from your podcasts that help people to make sensible decisions. (laughs) There was none of that. So, and I didn't know where to find that education as well, if it was out there. 
Yeah, and and this is the thing, like, I've talked to many people in their early 20s, and I remember talking to a guy once, he was a friend, he's like, oh, I'm doing all this stuff and going to get a car loan. And, you know, the car loan was ridiculous, like 70% of his annual wage in terms of, uh, it'd be like someone earning a hundred grand a year and buying a $70,000 car, like just ridiculous. And it is that kind of thing where I'm like, dude, this doesn't make sense. And it's emotionally charged and he was going to do it. Like, what do I know? I'm like, I don't know anything like, you know, and then sometimes we have to learn the hard way. And, but other times, hopefully there's people listening to this and they're like, well, before I do anything, I'm going to build an emergency fund. Yeah. And he ended up selling the car at a loss because he couldn't afford it. And yeah, I was right. But mm. that's all good to be right. But I mean, I don't know. So I, th- I think what I'm saying is sometimes when we're young, because, you know, I've been young, people listening might be young at the moment. Sometimes we want to experience it ourselves. Mm. So if the podcast can encourage people to at least not use consumer debt (laughs) for their 20s. As long as you're not going backwards, go and live life. Mm. (laughs) Like, I don't know. That makes me think about like the other silver lining to my bankruptcy was that for a period of seven years, I was unable to do anything financially. I was forced to not be able to do, to get on the hedonic financial treadmill. I could Mm. not goal set. I couldn't do these things. So I just started squirreling away money and shoveling money into an account because I had no other option. I couldn't go out and buy things. And I'm not a, I'm not a consumer materialistic type person. So I'm very much about experiences and memories. That's how I spend my money. But yeah. I So the bankruptcy period almost forced you to change your habits. Yeah. hundred percent. And, yeah. and it was in that period where I was like squirreling the money away and then shows like My Millennial Money and She's on the Money started to pop up and I started listening and I was able to get the education before I could do anything and I think that's really important as well. And the whole problem with my share portfolio at the moment is because I hit the, like I shot the gun before I got the education again, so a little bit of old Megan in there. Mm. Where I was like, oh, I'm going to do all these things with shares because I've got money to put in the share market now. And I did that with a little bit of education, but not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, it's fascinating that this is going up the week after the episode that we did like last Thursday about the mistakes. And it's it's okay to learn and then outgrow your learning. So with your portfolio, you've got all these shares, all these ETFs. I'm in there. I'm learning. I'm not doing with debt and all that stuff. And now you're starting to, you've got that hands-on. It's like, okay, now I know that I want to lean this up and make this more simple. And it is a process. It's not as if you've rocked up and received a $500,000 inheritance and just gone shotgun everywhere and then, you know, made a mess that way. Mm. It's kind of like I'm finding my way, I'm doing it slowly and I'm learning. Yeah, that's 100% true. If there's really a third silver lining. And so, and this is a really good lesson for anyone out there who who thinks they are about to go into bankruptcy and think it's the end of the world and, and everything's going to change and nothing good can come from it. So the third silver lining for me was gave me the opportunity to step back 
and do what you say on my, is it my millennial career? Yeah, probably. Where they talk about in your in your toolkit, one way to increase your income is to upskill, right? So I totally. was able to in 2014, so a year after my bankruptcy and a year after my son was born, I enrolled in an undergraduate psychology degree. Then I did my honours and then I did my PhD. That took me seven years. So the bankruptcy was finished by the time I finished my PhD. Wow. Yeah, so I was able to do that as well. So I may not have had financial goals, but I was upskilling myself in my career so that I could have that higher income yeah. when I was able to get out there and start playing in the financial field again. Yeah. And what would you tell anyone listening who might be feeling that they've overcooked it a little bit? You mean with like a bankruptcy they feel like Yeah, or dead or feel like they're in a financial disarray or a really hard time? Because you've been there, you're the person. A hundred percent. When it's happening, it feels like the end of the world. It feels like you're never going to recover. It feels like your reputation is tarnished and people are judging you. People don't care about you. They care about themselves. So don't worry about that. Also, there is like a light at the end of the tunnel. Like I'm only 43, but I'm now in a place and I believe that the bankruptcy has kind of put me in a better place in some ways where... I've learned from my mistakes. So if I hadn't gone out and done all those things in my 20s and been really bullish, then maybe I would have done them now and then I would have had way less time at the back end to fix it. So I'm kind of glad I did. I'm like I don't regret anything. Do you think you'll buy other property again or just stick to building wealth slowly And this is the thing, right? When I was buying all those houses, I was using the equity on the house previous to it to buy the next one. So I didn't really have any of that hurt of paying stamp duty and things like that. It all just got absorbed into the equity. And Mm -hmm. so when I bought my house in January of this year, I had to pay 28 grand in stamp duty. And that was like a sting. And I like, because I saved that money really hard and I spent so long squirreling away that money and that 28 grand really hurt. Mm. So I don't think I will. <laughs> I don't want to pay stamp duty basically. If they change the stamp duty rules, I will. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. Like property is one of those things where if you go too hard too fast, you'll get flushed. Yeah. If you get too greedy, you'll get flushed. It happens to developers all the time. Mm. Like it's the one thing when things get tight and we're coming into that period now, and we are in that period now, people who have overextended will get flushed. Yeah. Now, it's not the end of the world because, you know, I've got a live one in the boat now. You've survived and it was okay. But it's just a cautionary tale Mm. that slow down, build your foundations first, then have a plan, have a strategy. And even though I said that, I'm also thinking that the way that I structured the mortgage with the offsets was to eventually have the house that I'm living in as a rental Mm. and I want to kind of move somewhere nice like Cairns maybe when I retire. So I'm kind of the money that's going into my, into the section for my emergency fund, I'm just putting as much money as I can into there. So one day I could use that to buy a house outright and then all of the loans still sits on the majority of the loan still sits on the house that I'm in that will be the rental. So yeah, 
Megan is thinking forward in that way. Yeah, but and that's, that's it. Like, not for another ten years. But it's it's always good to buy the correct way because that will give you options now. If you don't end up having it as an investment property, no sweat. If you do, awesome. Like it's mm. just simple planning. Oh well, thanks for sharing your story. No worries. So yeah, I I kind of like you had your silver linings, and yeah, like I think the common thing was potentially that you went gung-ho without totally understanding the, the risks. And well, see, if I had my sound financial house set up back in the day when mm. I had all those properties, I reckon 10 grand would have got me out of that. Yeah. That's that most little amount of money that 10 grand would have, I would have survived my bankruptcy. I would not have ended up bankrupt if I, if I had just 10 grand behind me. Yeah. And that's what I say, like, don't, be a property owner if you're running on the line. Yeah. And particularly, uh, uh, you know, if you've got tenants, if you're running on the line and something happens, like you need the cash to make it happen. Like we don't want to run stuff on the line. We need that margin of error. Yeah, 100%. So do you want to maybe, we'll end the episode there and then we'll come back and do a bit of an after party and just talk about your work your day job so sure um, sounds good there we go we'll do an after party everyone and if you're new to the podcast an after party is the unofficial part after the official end of the podcast so thanks megan for joining us on the show thanks everyone for listening hope you've been encouraged if you feel like you need to forward this episode to someone who might benefit from it please do it would be most appreciated thanks megan we'll see you in the after party thank you so much glenn We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, let's get real. What are you doing? What's what's your uh, what's your job? Your day job? You talked okay, about so the um, kind of, the PhD. Yeah, I have two jobs. Yeah, that are rolled into one. So, uh, one of my arms of my job is I'm a lecturer in psychology and statistics. The other arm of my job is I'm a psychological researcher. So I'm a scientist mm. in the field of nutritional psychiatry, which is diet and mental health. Mm. Your website talks about the body image part and is yep. that kind of cut, like in the mental health part? Yeah, so um, I do two different things in uh, nutritional psychiatry. So the first is I look into dietary patterns and depression symptoms, so what mm. dietary pattern is the best for decreasing depressive symptoms. And the other arm is I'm looking into body image in the postpartum in particular. So, and looking at women who either eat intuitively or diet to lose their baby weight. Right, right. Um, so where is all that at? Have you got any like concrete results yet? I do. So my PhD, I did four studies on dietary patterns and depression. And if oh, I wow. could boil down the four years of my PhD into three words, it would be, Eat more plants. Yes. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? Yeah. It's so like... it's the same it's the same message for physical and mental health. Eat mm. less ultra processed foods, eat more plants. Fiber is good for gut diversity, which is good for your brain. Um yeah, drink a little bit of water every day. But it's so weird. Like even like, you know, the correlation to the money stuff, it's like spend less than you earn, invest the rest. Mm, easy. That's what you got to do. But then the human behavior comes in and messes with it. Yeah. And so that's the thing with diet, right, is that you, we all know what we're supposed to eat, but human nature gets in the way. So if you put yourself into a self-deprivation mode where you're like, I'm going to diet for the next 30 days and I'm not going to eat this and this and this and this and this. You put your body into this self-deprivation and you're constantly thinking about the foods you're not allowed to have and you end up after the 30 days or whatever the goal is that you set, you then go and binge on all the things that you love and all the comfort foods and the, mm. and the foods that you love. So that doesn't work. So the dieting cycle doesn't work for anybody. So... I'm all about increasing, telling you what things you can add to your diet rather than what you can take away. I'm, um, well, I've just finished a audio book called Spoon Fed. Um, he's a dude out of England. Um, let me find it, books. And he was like this um, Tim Spector, his name is. Yeah, Tim Spector is amazing. He's all about the gut microbiome. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was, it was fascinating. Like 
Yeah, he was basically saying, friggin' just eat when you're hungry, like don't eat crap. Just all, yeah. It's just fascinating. Like the gut microbiome, it was just wild. And I, I've kind of, I don't know, like because I tried the calorie counting over the years and all that, I don't anymore. I just, I don't eat after like 7 p.m. if I can help it and I'll wait 14 hours before I eat again, gives my body a rest and at least I'm not going to bed with a full stomach and I don't have that much red meat or meat anymore. That's actually like the the great way to structure your um, food. So it's not all about what you eat, but it's also about the timing of eating. So we shouldn't be, like you said, going to bed with lots of food in our gut. And when you talk about intermittent fasting, people usually do it the wrong way around. They usually skip breakfast and then eat later in the day and then do the 16-hour or the 14-hour window before, say, 10 o'clock in the morning. So yeah. But it's really you should be doing the window earlier in the like later in the day and eating a large breakfast, uh, a, a medium lunch, and then a small dinner, and then having that window of intermittent fasting start earlier in the in the day, like six o'clock at night or seven o'clock. Yeah, yeah, cool. And if there's a um, a woman listening now and she's just given birth, what do you want her to know? If you. <laughs> And this is a really good question because in the postpartum, so when you go and you have your first baby, you go to like prenatal classes and they teach you how to put the nappy on the baby and how to care for a baby and all these things and that's really great, but they never ever teach you what's going to happen to you, what's going to happen to your body, what's going to happen to everything, all the changes and things, and then it happens and you think you're the only person in the world that feels that way and your body is not the same. (laughs) ever again so it's I think women fall into the trap of like comparing themselves with people on on the internet who have babies and bounce back straight away look at the Kardashians they're a terrible role model for this um and that's just not realistic for people who don't have 24 7 personal trainers nutritionists and diet dietitians that follow them around so it's it's normal for us to look a little larger than we were pre-pregnancy, but women are trying to get back to that pre-pregnancy shape and size. So eating intuitively, which basically means eating when you're hungry, learning to stop when you're full and listening to your body's cues to what foods make you feel good and what foods make you feel terrible. Mm. And eating that way, you'll you'll have better self-esteem, less depression, and you actually lose weight eating that way than actually restricting food. Yeah, and that's what I've thing. Yeah, that's what I've kind of like. I now with my snacks, I've just got some um, Brazil nuts, macadamia nuts, and just I just nibble on some nuts. That's good. Yeah, that's all I do. I'm just trying to because I'm addicted to ice cream. Like I don't buy it, keep it in the house anymore. Um, and I'll only have like maybe one serve a week or a fortnight, a couple of scoops. Um, yeah, I just love it. So, ladies, and your body's not no going to be the same. Liking ice cream either, like it's the problem too- is I've got no self control. So for me, I need to remove the temptation and not have it near me. So that's kind of like money, right? It's the same thing that you do yeah. with your fu- with your accounts. Totally. Like I'm a horrendous person and, 
Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> it sucks being me, I can tell you right now. Uh, so you've put systems into place. So you're kind of like me. You've learned from, yeah, from young Glenn and you've put systems yeah. into place to ensure that you're the best Glenn now. I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, yeah, it's weird. Anything else that um, you want people to know about? So talk to us about social media and body image because that's a debacle. Yeah, it's a it's a really bad thing in some ways. But what we're like starting to find, like the – Research that I started was in 2016 on the body image and the postpartum and we were finding that women, maybe because of social media but because of other factors as well, were having really bad body image. But in the recent years, in the last two years, my students here at Bond have been doing um, focus groups with mums and talking to mums about their body image and eating attitudes and what we're finding is it's kind of flipped. Mm. So there's all these mumfluences online now that are celebrating their bigger bodies and Um, we actually think that that's influencing body image in a positive way, especially since Taryn Bromfett, who did the Embrace documentary, um, she got Australian of the Year. Yeah, wow. But, like, I'm, you know, I'm totally out of my league right now, totally. But, like, if your BMI is high, you've got a bigger or a higher chance of, diabetes, joint issues and all that. And I don't know, it's hard. Like I'm speaking and that's from not someone necessarily who has a high the case. BI. Yeah. The science actually shows that there are people in smaller bodies who are more insulin resistant and unhealthier and some people in larger bodies actually aren't very insulin resistant and actually are healthy. So I don't think body mm. size is a good indicator of health in all cases. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Like I, I said to my doctor the other day, he's like, you could probably lose 10 kilos, that would help. And I said, don't fat shame me. Yeah, and that's right. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, so like what, so with this whole body image thing, like, yeah, everyone's comfortable and needs to be comfortable in their body because we don't really control what we look like, let's be honest. We just, mm. ta-da, genetic, a genetic big bang. Um like, if you're overweight, it can be unhealthy. Like, they said to me, lose 10 kilos, your reflux would go and your sleep apnea would probably go. But I'm lazy. And sure, don't have a go at me for being fat or whatever. But I know that I need to be comfortable with who I am, mm. you know, and all that. But there's that other side of the coin. It's like, well, you know. Have you read weight. James Clear's book, Atomic Habits? I have, yeah. I probably should reread that. Yeah, I'm reading it for the second time at the moment Mm. and I'm getting heaps more out of it than I did the first time I read it. And I'm also like you. I'm like lazy with things. I don't want to do things. I don't want to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and go to the gym. I don't want to – I want to eat all the ice cream as well. So I I find that the whole habit stacking thing that he teaches and the making a a habit your identity – like I am the type of person that does this or I, Mm. when he talks about smoking, he's like, when someone offers you a cigarette, instead of saying, oh, I'm giving up smoking, you say, oh, sorry, I'm not a smoker. So you you make the habit about your identity. Yeah. Interesting. I was actually thinking today, not many people smoke anymore, do they? Say it again, sorry. I was thinking today, not many people smoke as much as they used to, but heaps of people vape now. 
Yeah, and vaping is actually worse. Yeah, wow. When you look at the science, the what happens to the chemicals in the vape, they attach to like the water molecule and then the water molecule attaches to the inside of your lungs and then the chemical in the water goes in your lungs. It's like smoking, I don't know, can I say bongs? It's like smoking bongs. The water yeah, goes on wow. your lungs. It's really, really dangerous for you. So maybe if you vape, get back to the uh, old cancer sticks, everyone. Might be a bit healthier for you. That's what my 10-year-old yeah. said to me. He's like, so smoking's healthier than vaping? I'm like, yeah, but not healthier <laughs> than not smoking. Get those lung lollies into you, kids. And you're like um, a social pariah now if you smoke. You're not allowed anywhere, yeah. so. Yeah, I don't mind it. I hate the stench of it. Mm. Um, yeah, I know. I just think it's fascinating, like, the habits and – health and eating and, you know, I would love to, honestly, it's not going to happen because I'm lazy, but I'd love to lose weight, keep it off and try and see if I could maintain my mental health without meds by good diet. Can but I give I'll you say, a tip? Uh, yeah. So it's like, it's exactly like the systems that you put in place with money and you teach people mm. about money. You've got to make it easy and attractive, right? Yeah. If it's difficult, people aren't going to do it. So the easiest way to do that is to, it's not about quantity of plants, it's about diversity, right? So if mm. you can eat 30 different plants a week. Too hard. No, listen to me. It's <laughs> not. Brazil nuts, macadamia nuts, cashews. Oh, they're, they're plants, all a different I guess. Plant. Yeah, okay. Herbs, spices, herbal teas. Do you drink herbal teas? Green tea, peppermint, things like that. Is peppermint tea herbal? Is licorice per herbal tea, peppermint tea? Yes, that's a plant. Yeah, licorice I, I is I a drink. plant. Once you start writing them down, maybe for a week, write down all the plants that you eat and then at mm. every meal just think, how could I put just one more plant in this? So I um, bought some green beans and broccoli and the snap sugar peas the other day and I sautéed them and um, – I was at the shops and I remember Jess Spenlove who's done the health podcast. She's like, you got to make it colourful, colour, colour, colour. So I bought a capsicum and added that. Good. <laughs> Just one red one. That's fine. No, I, I'm like, it's just too hard. Life's too hard. You've got to have an abundance mindset, right? You've got to be like, what can oh, I add? I don't want to remove too hard. the things. I want to eat more. And I want to have more abundance, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to eat the abundance of things that I'm I can eat, and then that will crowd out the mm. ultra processed foods. Yeah, I I don't eat that much processed food if I'm being honest. I mean, last night on the plane, Qantas gave us what they give us. Um, it was uh, corn fritters. I'm like, these things are frigging processed to hell. But like, I'll try and avoid where possible. Um, yeah. It's tricky yeah, it's, when you're traveling. Even I can't oh, eat healthy while I'm traveling. It's so it's hard. Possible. It's really annoying. Um, yeah. Well, everyone, I'm probably, do you reckon I, I'm, when we discussed like the BMI and the health and the body image stuff, like it's social um, plutonium or uranium or whatever. Don't at me, everyone. I'm just chatting. I'm just thinking. Like, I don't know. Because there, there is like, the diabetes aside, like heart health, if you got a higher BMI, like, and that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. 
I should probably should shut up. Like I can't sell it. I can accept my body, but I can't celebrate being unhealthy. I don't know. Who's told you that you're unhealthy though? Oh, I know it. Do you think so? Well, I've got high blood pressure. (laughs) But there's a story there. Funny story. Okay. Do you need to go? No. All right. So I went to the doctor. Actually, when I had my wrist operation, because I've had the wrist operations, got the um, blood pressure before the surgery. And they were like, oh, you've got high blood pressure. It's a bit high. It's probably just white coat. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm... I'm looking forward to this sleep, actually. I'm like, just knock me out. I've had million surgeries. I'm not nervous, trust me. And I went to the doctor and he, he goes, yeah, it's a little bit high. Any family history? And I'm like, nah, no family history. He goes, oh, we'll just keep an eye on it, you know, less salt, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I asked mum and dad, I text mum. I'm like, oh, do you have, is there family history of blood pressure? And she's like, yeah, I'm on three meds and your dad's on two. <laughs> So I went to the doctor. I'm like, oh, yeah, family history. He goes, well, I can tell you, you will be on meds one day. Mm. <laughs> We've just got to prolong that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but I feel healthy. I just probably know I'm not healthy. There's always know. a finding out, though. You can do, like, blood tests and things. But remember, being in a larger body doesn't mean that you're unhealthy. And from, I can only see, like, the top half of you, but you don't look like you're that large to me. Yeah, no. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Well, there you go. I've learned something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was an after party, wasn't it? Anything else you want to add about any of the stuff that you do? Any PSAs or a website or can they just Google Dr. Megan Lee for any of your Yeah, my website's www.meganlovingmeagain.com. Uh, my Facebook handle and my Instagram handle are also that. Um, yeah, if you want to check out my research, it's all on there. Awesome. Yeah, sweet. Oh, well, thanks for hanging out. I love um, talking with people about anything and um, particularly when you listen to the podcast, it's really great to have you. And, yeah, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you so it. much for having me. All right. Bye.